Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 299 at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is brought to you by Ace High Graphics. We print custom t-shirts, hats, hoodies, bags, and more using a low-impact, heat-infused printing process you can trust. Get a quote today at acehighgraphics.com. Now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism Radio. Radio. Patrick, I always love talking to Erica. Oh, yeah, she's great. She was good at the herbal... Um, um, Herbs and Action Herbs Summit. Action Summit. She was a really valuable member of that whole cadre of people we had, and um, she was just fun to talk to in general about um, essential oils and smelling and oh yeah, stuff. and her excitement about them or her passion for them is is like infectious in oh, the yeah. good way. <laughs> it's almost like you know she's you know she you know she she'll tell you she's an herbalist, but really she's she's. All, all about the essential oils. That's her jam. Oh, That's yeah. That's her, her niche, as we say, in the marketing yes. world. And the hydrosols. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. She, in fact, when we were talking about, you know, the science, if you will, behind how scent works and how primal that sense is, it reminded me of when uh, Buttercup passed on. She and I, for, for, for all oh, that you don't know, Buttercup uh, was yeah. our, our second basset hound. She was a, yeah. She was a great, she was, she was my, my best friend. Jasper, or uh, not Jasper. Jasper is our current right. sweetheart, my current best friend. Right. So anyway. But butter, before him, there was Buttercup and Sweet Pea. And Sweet Pea was my first Basset Hound, and he and I were very, very close. And I didn't really, he and I had a lot of t- conversations about smell, especially early on, because he wanted to smell everything all the time. It was challenging try to go on a walk, you take one step and then you spend 10 minutes waiting for him to smell and take one more step and same, same. Yes, very much sense. Um, but what I noticed is that I didn't notice it at the time, but what I noticed after Buttercup passed on, she was our second Basset Hound and they overlapped each other. Yeah. So what I noticed after she passed on was that the Basset Hound sense of smell somehow infected me and I started smelling things more clearly and more... You know, like I could pick apart aromas easier. And after she passed on, part of the grief that happened for me was I lost a little bit of that sense of smell. It wasn't like I couldn't smell. It's not like, you know, COVID or head injury level or anything. But I noticed that after she was gone, my sense of ability to smell and pick apart smells and catch even the faintest whiff had vanished or had diminished significantly. So I was just smelling like a regular old human again. And it was really disappointing. Mm-hmm. It, it really, like the world sort of flattened as a result, which I found interesting. And it was just something that I just sort of like, you know, I mean, that's a decade ago. And I, I observed that this was the case. But what do you do? You know, mm-hmm. Jasper's not nearly the same scent-driven dog that a basset hounds are. Yeah, he's so, much more sight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Um they, they would just pick up on scents, and you know, and, to, and on the other side of the, the thing, basset hounds typically smell more themselves. I mean, they, I mean, the literal they they smell. <laughs> they they are they have a, they're a hound. Yes. And they have their own sense. I mean, when you're around them, you know they are odiferous dogs. Yes, any yes. of the hound family is. Yes. So all, not only do they smell really well, but they also smell really yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. And there's something about, for me, Basset Hound scent in particular, the smell of those dogs is wonderful. I find that to be a lush, lush, 
luxurious, beautiful scent. Oh, I'm sure there are people going right now. <laughs> Everybody around me doesn't agree. In fact, I remember when we lived with Basset Hounds, we got comments regularly through the years from certain relatives about the smell of our house and the smell of our couches and the smell of our um, car. And our dogs didn't even live, sit on the couch. I mean, it wasn't until... Sweet Pea passed on that Buttercup ventured to get on the couch. She broke all the rules. She did break all the rules. <laughs> she was such a misbehaved dog. She broke all the rules. Oh, but she was so sweet and darling. Well, yes, she was. But again, you could never be mad at Buttercup. Um, yes, she was the one that, that that pushed the couch, and we didn't push it back. So we said, yeah, okay. no, so we didn't. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, and I and I remember uh, our truck at the time. You could definitely tell we had dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, Jasper in our car now. You can't tell. That. I mean, the, it's the, not as obvious. Yeah, there, yeah, there's a dog in the car. You know, because there's dog hair, and you can. There's a slight smell, but the basset hounds they just had a smell. They were strong, right? We had yeah. two of them, so that double double your pleasure smell. Yeah, but you know, it, it, it comes with it. She was talking about how those scents really, and scents and smells really just. It's such a powerful, um, yeah, sense that we have, and it encompasses everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how, like she was talking about the mental illness and how some people will have a, like certain smells, you know, you're smelling a rose, but they're smelling rotten eggs. Or, you know, I, I found that really fascinating that the wiring or connections would be that different. I know it's yeah. all. I, you know, as you were even saying that, we're like, you know, there's people that can be colorblind. Yeah, because right? they don't have the cones or whatever. They can only yeah. see certain things. Yeah, in fact, we know somebody but like I, that. But, who's, but I'm wondering. Yeah, is there a sense blindness? Like a sense that you know they don't have right. the same olfactory things in their nasal passages or whatever that would that would let them like allow with, them to like, facilitate them to smell. Like from infancy, they've always been that way, right. as opposed so, to people who are suffering from a head injury or COVID or something. Right, right, where, yeah, where you've lost your sense of smell, right, and you do get it back. Hopefully, hopefully, you know? yeah. but yeah, like you were born, and 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 these it's scents sun. on these registers smell like something else, sulfur, or, or whatever. whatever. Yeah, and then no matter what you do in your whole life, that every time you smell a rose, it yeah. smells. It always like smells this like yeah. because you don't. I mean, I would venture to guess there are things like that. I, why wouldn't it be if you if you yeah. become colorblind because of that? Because you, that's where you were born. There, why wouldn't there be? Yeah, you know this this block on certain sense that you your body just doesn't identify or identifies completely differently. Your brain files differently. Yeah. Oh yeah. Connects well, differently. Yeah. Know, even even when you talk to somebody about colors, you know, and, yeah. and, and then they don't have to necessarily be colorblind. Yeah. You know, I've had people when I've given them a, a, a design proof, they're like, "I really don't like that blue." I'm like, "Really? That's that's straight off of this or something you really loved, and and it's a really dark blue and." And they'll tell me, well, no, that's purple. I'm like, oh, no, that's blue. And in mm-hmm. here I can show you that this is the mix we're using and that's a blue mix. But, I, you know, yeah. and so they just – but they keep but seeing that's a, how a they dark see purple it. and that's yeah. how they see it. They're not colorblind. They're just not um, – It's the way that they perceive it. Yeah, they're just not – their perception of that blue isn't along the lines of mine. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, which is interesting. Um, side note, I just found out apparently that the, the developer of Crayola Crayons was colorblind. But I don't know how that oh, worked. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that worked, but okay. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, uh, but it's just that that yeah. So with sense, is that the same thing? And since we're born, that's like you. It's the first it's the sense. First, first sense. 
you know, that's what we must identify our mother with, how yeah. we know where to, to go for safety and you know, food and, and all, all of that, that stuff, you know, yeah. that's, that's set for sin. Cause our eyes are typically not completely developed. Yeah. I believe, right? When we're, no, it, it takes a while for your eyesight, for an infant's eyesight to develop. And their hearing is, is there, but it's not. Yeah. Or is it, I mean, I don't really don't, I mean, to be fair, I don't honestly know. I just knew that the smell was the big one. Yeah. I mean, I, I know the brain develops rapidly in the first six weeks, three months, something like that. And the, by the time you're a year old or a baby is a year old, all of the different senses have developed. And in theory, you know, the child can identify sounds and sights and smells right. and flavors. And, but it, it's all like this rapid progression. The brain's got a lot of work to do this first year. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, no, no question. Um, but yeah, anyway. So anyway, I just I thought that it was really interesting the idea that you can really work with conditions that we have often talked about as being mental illnesses in this way that you don't you can use you can use the sense of smell to help get around some of the emotional mental static if you will. And get mm -hmm. through to that more primal part of yourself and then clear, you know, clear it out, clear, the, clear the problem areas and right. heal them. So I thought that was really fascinating. It is fascinating. And I think it's kind of, I mean, we've, through the years, we've talked with a variety of herbalists who approach aromatherapy in different ways. And, you know, some of them have talked about how they don't really see a difference between aromatherapy and straight up herbalism because it is aromatherapy to even brew a cup of herbal tea, like right. a cup of lemon verbena tea and just hold it and smell it. You know, that that's, that's really an aromatherapy, which is true. It is. Mm -hmm. And that, yep. so it's, I don't know. Well, I, you know, I think when you talk about you know, that distinction, there's a, a feeling that you get with, you know, say the tea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's warm, it's hot, it's the, the process of going through it. You're in a different mind state. If it is, you know, an herbal tea with a lot of essential oils, you're going to bring those in. It's because they're, now they're, they're airborne or whatever. Um, which is, it, you know, definitely an aromatherapy versus, you know, setting up a diffuser and that or a couple drops on a thing or whatever you're doing. Um, it is the same, but it's different. It seems to me. It is. I thought that after having read Matthew Woods, latest book, The Holistic Medicine and the Extracellular Matrix, and, mm -hmm. and considered the idea that your sense of smell, you're breathing in these molecules, right? So the molecules are going in through your sinuses, mm -hmm. and in just even in touching your sinuses, can the chemicals can be absorbed into your, you know, just like a, just like a topical going into your skin, mm -hmm. you know, that, so the molecules are going in and they're going in through your sinuses and therefore are actually really quite close to your brain. And therefore the blood circulation wise, it can be transmitted to your brain really rapidly and easily. Mm -hmm. And, and then you start thinking about those mo molecules doing their work on the matrix itself rather than on the cells. Yeah. And of course, affecting the cells and everything else, but that 
being able to make that shift and be so close to the brain and the processing center and the pituitary gland, you can make rapid change throughout the entire body and the entire system with just sniffing a you know bottle of lavender oil right. or rosemary oil. Right. And we see the effects. I mean, we've for a long time we've said we don't know why it works and we don't fully understand and you know, scientific side has tried to break it down into looking at constituents and specific molecular structures and chemicals. And when you think about what what we know from, like what Erica was talking about, is that just using aromatherapy or essential oils as a method for shifting how you're viewing something mm -hmm. or how your psyche is processing it, it's just... I'm having a hard time putting all this into some clear thinking, but I'm like pinging all these pieces together thinking this is just amazing how this works and it works in a way that is, can be understood scientifically, particularly when you look at it from the, the cellular matrix perspective rather than just the cell perspective. It's as if the mystical nature of it becomes more of course, you know, instead of, Oh, so woo woo, we don't understand. Well, no, actually we do understand it's really obvious and it's really simple and it's really natural. You know? Yeah, I mean I I understand what you're saying. I, I it's like people want to understand all of these things, whether it's, you know, how herbs work or mm -hmm. uh, you know, how aromatherapy works, and in the easiest way for them to do that is to simplify them in their their parts. In this case, you you said your yeah. constituents, and then they can say, "Oh, well, it works because it has this, and then it has this, right? Right." So that's very easy for people to latch onto. It's you know why, and we make pharmaceuticals because of that oh this is the one thing that does does is the painkiller. The rest we don't need, quote unquote, yeah. don't need, but this is what we need. Um, I think you know for aromatherapy and 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 uh, scents and all that stuff, it's that same idea. It's like what is, you know what alcohol what ketone what whatever it is that 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 you know hits your thing that's the thing now and that's the point we're going to focus because i can understand that right but what you did by saying what you did is like well you don't have to understand that you just have to know that it works because of the entire body of it and it's almost i don't want to say belief but there was like when you're mm -hmm. saying like what you're saying what you're saying is you got to believe it and i don't know if i can i mean i believe it because i know it works and I know it works because of the whole, not because of the parts. Yeah. And for someone that wants to prove it. Right. You know, that's when we have to break it. Then that's when I want to break it down to those those parts. You know, it's like um, I don't know that it works. I just know that it's true. Yeah. Know, I don't know that, you know, you know, I don't, you know what I mean? I, I can't prove it. I just know it's true. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> kind of idea. And and uh, I think you know, that's where uh, – it, it comes in, but you know, one of the things I was so if you look at our book, there's just so many solutions and and ideas there for for how to use sense and and stuff for us to to do you know more than just oh you need to pick me up how about a little bit of lemon oil right yeah you know yeah her book was much more um, not a tome that's wrong comprehensive. It was more about real living, the whole spans of real living. Sure. It was yeah, things. Practical use. Yeah. Everything from treating diaper rash to pimples to arthritis to. 
you know, middle-aged depression to, you know, all of it. it. It was a nice wide span of the practical use of essential oils in daily life. Right. I mean, and, and you know, essential oils have come into the the pop culture zeitgeist in the last 10 yeah. years. There's been, you know, you can you can go, you know, there was a time where you had, Costco had diffusers. I know. Right? right. I mean, you could go to these places, you know, even Target had a diffuser. They're everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. And then, you know, there was a, a, a jump in um, essential oil sales because of a couple of the you know, companies that were out there that were selling a lot and had, you know, reps and all that. Uh, and, and then they became more and more available on, you know, if Target was selling it, they'd have their little line of, of yeah. you know, they, that company would have their line of. I'm not going to get into the merits of quality or, you know, production or any of that stuff. I'm just saying that once it hits those types of levels, then more and more people get into it and they experiment with it. Some will stay, some won't, like all, all things. But what what uh, Erica was basically saying is bring it in, into the next the next level of – so you bought yeah. a diffuser. Yeah. You know, and you, you, you played with some blends. Yeah. But did you know? Yeah. And – Almost like there's this whole healing uh, energy thing from her vantage point with with um, essential oils and hydrosols and and scent yeah. that is just as powerful as taking a tincture. Right, it is, and part of the part part of what makes it so powerful is that ability to heal our emotions. And when your emotions are in the right place, the body heals much better. You spent the time and money on a new website. You made all the right choices, or seem to, and you still do not have the website traffic you need to make your website create money for you. Mudpodesign.com can help you get the traffic to your website to have it start making money for you. Get a free SEO audit at their website, mudpodesign.com slash free dash SEO dash audit. We've all heard the stories of you know, the individual that was diagnosed with some really serious cancer and underwent all the treatments and all of that, and things weren't working. And then they finally just retreated and said, I'm done. I'm going to go spend out my last days in this retreat center and meditate or whatever, or laugh or whatever. And, and the cancer goes. And we know, we don't know exactly why it goes, but we do know that people who go through cancer treatments and really work at finding the lighter side of life and the happy and the joy in life have a tendency to do better. Mm -hmm. They are more likely to recover entirely, go into remission. They are more likely to have lesser intensity of side effects from the treatments they're going through. You know, they'll still have the nausea, but it's not as bad as the person who's really focused on how awful life is or right. who's really stuck in depression. So emotions have a strong impact on our healing, and it works at all levels. I mean, it works when you're healing from the common cold. I mean, you might go through a day of feeling sorry for yourself, but then if you just get a positive attitude about it, the rest of that common cold goes through more easily and your body recovers faster than, you know, the opposite. Mm -hmm. So we know that, that having your emotions in the right space helps you. And we also know that if you're in a great mood and you hand your resume to someone for a potential job, like you walk in off the street and you're going to just, you want to make tacos and there's a help wanted sign. So you go in and you apply mm -hmm. and you're in a great mood when you do it. 
you're far more likely to get a call back than if you are in a really bad mood and trying to put on a maybe a decent smile, but you're just in a bad mood when you hand in your resume. Right. Your emotions make a huge impact on the results you get, no matter what you're looking at, what level of living you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So that's powerful, I think. I mean, that's that's part of what to me is just amazing about aromatherapy and the aromatherapy herbalist approach where you're blending the two the way that, you know, like Erica does or mm -hmm. Maria Noel Groves does that as well, I know. And I'm trying to remember, I know there are a few other herbalists we've spoken to through the years and done podcasts with that have also talked about that approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the thing I, I, I always remind me of going back to Indian cooking or whatever, mm -hmm. where one 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 spice could have, you know, seven or eight different mm -hmm. um, yes. flavors, aromas all around it because of the way you, what you do it, and and I think with an herb, it's almost like this other idea, you know, where there's so many things that it does or can be, depending on how you prepare it. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of times. Some herbalists, and this is my purely my my opinion, of course. Some herbalists just don't think about the essential oil part of it. Yeah, and I think sometimes the essential oils purpose people don't think about the other side of it. Yeah, that's one of the frustrating and, things. And I think it's like it's an herb, and it's and it's all its forms. It has so yeah. many different different ways of working, and that we shouldn't necessarily tunnel vision one or the other. I'm not suggesting Erica has done that. No, all. no. I'm just saying. She's general. actually done the opposite. Yeah. She's trying oh, no, to. I, yeah. I, I, but yeah. it's just, I think there's this, you know. At one point there was a herbalist who was um, putting out or talking about essential oils as if they were somehow not herbalism. And I don't want to say poo-pooing them, but pretty much saying we don't do that. We don't do essential oils. Yeah. And that's, you know, fine. But the thing I kept thinking about it was, well, how are you separating the herbs from the essential oils? They're the same thing. How do you, how are you not doing essential oils? So that was one of those things where I thought this is one of the silly parts of some, the way the American approach has been. Because when you look at like European approach, they don't try to separate them. It's all one big thing or a lot of European. I think if I remember, I didn't the French back way back when separate them i can't remember well they i mean the, the perfumeries were really a big thing back then you know they, yeah. they were the ones that really started pulling scents and how to use different scents to do things and right yeah know. but they weren't they weren't a healing practice no there was there's like two so. as far as i understood there's two aromatherapy schools there's the school that approaches it as a thing that's very separate from herbalism it's its own thing right and then there's the school that approaches it as it's all one big thing. Mm. And maybe we're going to focus on the scent aspect of the healing, but it's all still one big thing. And I can't remember the origins of either because, you know, right now I just have not looked that up and I should have before we did this podcast. Oh, that's ah. okay. <laughs> well, we could, you don't, I mean, but, okay, but you never know where we're going to end up. I mean, that's it, true. It's, we had a meandering conversation, and that's where we ended at this moment. Did you think yeah. you were going to bring up the French school? Were we going to talk about perfumery at the end of this? No, no I, I did so. not. I did so not. So you're fine. No. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, my own 
thinking is really all about holistic, as in whole, the whole thing. So you can't really separate a plant from its essential oils and think it's somehow separate. The essential oils are the plant, just as the leaf is the plant, you know. Is, is the cellulose that holds everything together. Yeah, exactly. It's all, you know. It's all part and partial. Yeah. So, um Anyway, I, I think if you're looking to really get into that knowledge base, to understand Erica's, that, that yeah. book is it, it's, it's covers all the bases. I mean, it's a practical approach to um, using essential oils and scents for. Um, yes, and I know that home. Erica's been. She's got a class that she's taught, and I believe it's still available in an online webinar style form. Um, so you want to go over to her site, Sovereignty Herbs. Right. Check we'll out. Have a link in a short note. Yeah. So we do have a question on the lines of um, essential oils and Ooh. all that stuff. All righty. Um, so this one's from Michaela. Uh, she says, hello, I've always wanted to make essential oils. So far, from what I've read, read cold-pressed is healthier and becoming more popular. I definitely prefer cooking with cold-pressed oils myself. How does this apply to essential oils, though? Is there actually a way to make a pure essential oils with the cold press method without it being a diluted mix, i.e. the plant slash herb matter being immersed and set or infused with a lot of carrier? Thank you so much for your time and articles of knowledge. Okay, Michaela, go for it, Candice. <laughs> that one sounds like a very complicated question. It's a really good one. Um, partly because when we start talking about essential oils, there's the idea that they are somehow an oil. And while there are some oleic, if I remember correctly, that's right, chemistry structures to some of the volatile oils, some of them are not. There are a lot of chemical structures there. The reality of it is that essential oils are volatile compounds that will completely evaporate. So if you put a drop of essential oil on a piece of tissue, let's say, and you wait a few minutes for the air to have its time to do its thing, or you know maybe an hour, whatever, you will not see anything left over. There won't be any color or impression of oil on the tissue. Cold-pressed oils are oleic compounds that are pressed out of the cellular structure of the plant matter they come from. So like olives get pressed and oil comes out. And if you put a drop of that oil on the tissue paper and let it sit for, you know, a few hours, a few days, whatever, and you come back, well, it may seem dry, it'll still be oil there. And there will be at the very least an oil stain that will, you know, mm, change. So, right. so it's definitely a different chemical structure. When herbalists talk about making oils, herbal oils, most of the time they're talking about infusing plant matter into oils. So what that looks like is you take your lavender flowers, usually you're going to start with dried ones, and you're going to put them into your carrier oil, which in this case maybe would be an olive oil or an almond oil. And once you have the two blended together, you let them sit for a month, two months, whatever you're doing. And most of the time you don't use heat because you want the essential oils from the plants to also infuse or um, go into the olive oil or the carrier oil. So like in the case of lavender, you want 
all of the constituents that lavender will give up, including all of the volatile or essential oils to infuse into your olive oil. And then later you strain out the plant material and you have a scented olive oil left. Mm -hmm. What it sounded like Michaela was looking at was the question of adding essential oils to cold pressed oils or questioning whether you can make an essential oil by infusing an herb into oil. I think that I think she was doing the the, the, the the latter, not the former. And there are ways to make essential oils that do that, um, but those are usually not creating. We usually it's called an <clears throat> excuse me. There's a solvent extract. There's a bunch of ways to make essential oil. Distillation is the most steam distillation or water distillation mm -hmm. is the most common one right. for therapeutic grade essential oils. Uh, that's how you make hydrosols. That's how, you know, Erica makes hydrosols and, and essential oils mm -hmm. is using a steam distillation method. And that's looks like an alchemical process. It's really cool, but it, it's got this big fancy style kettle, kettle and, and there's some coil coils. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really very steampunky. It's, it's really cool. cool. Um, but there are other ways. And when you start looking at some plants, um, they're much harder to extract the oils from. So they use other things like solvent extractions, which is similar to what I think she may have been asking about. Mm -hmm. And then, so what would happen is that you use the solvent, whether it's an oil or a wax or a chemical, to soak up the essential oils from the plant matter. Then you remove the plant matter and then you use a secondary process to extract the essential oil from the solvent. So there's no actual oil or wax or chemical left or there shouldn't be in the final essential oil mm -hmm. product that you've got. Um, there's also um, expression is one of the other methods, which is really mechanical. Like so for lemon and orange and other cit citruses, the way that they extract the essential oil is by using machines to not grind it up. It's usually a more like a puncturing process, but like puncturing and squeezing and all of that sort of thing, macerating mm -hmm. to some extent, you know, just mechanically mm -hmm. making a mess of it and then extracting the essential oil from that. Right. And I mean, if you think about it that way too, lemon, lime, orange, there's yeah. so much oil in there. In the, yeah. They have so much. It's easy to get a hold of. Right. But it's the hard part is getting the, all those cells to open up and yeah. let go of it because those cells want to hang on to it. Mm. That's why when you're holding an orange, you don't smell the essential oil. But as soon as you rip that peel, you get that smell. Right. The ripping of the peel is opening the cells. And mm -hmm. so that's what the expression version is. There's other ones like there is one called a, Enfleurage, which is often used in um, like perfume industry. And that's where you, again, use a medium like an oil or a fat and you put the the plant material in it and then give it some time to extract and, mm -hmm. you know, and then continue on. So it's similar in many ways to solvent extraction. Um, there's also like for woods and resins, there's a process called destructive distillation. And that includes, or that is, it's like a burning process that's part of it and creates some charcoal and a bunch of other stuff. So there's all those other things, but, you know, in a practical sense, 
distillation is the most likely, if you really want to get into making essential oils, distillation is going to be the way you'll probably go. If you're making an, an herb-infused, herbal-infused oil or an oil infused with herbs, you can add essential oils, oils to it. So let's say, for instance, you made your lavender essential oil and you're fairly happy with it, but you kind of want the scent to be stronger or you want to get a little bit more of the essential oil therapeutic aspect in it. You could add some drops of essential oil to your lavender oil and that'll make it more robust, mm -hmm. at least in scent. The aromatherapy part will. So that would be a way to do that. I think it is highly unlikely for most people to try to press, use an, a press or a mechanical, even with like citrus, it would be really hard at home to press or use cold pressed methods to create an actual pure essential oil. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that helps fully, but I think what we're talking about is two separate things and that essential oils are only the volatile oils of the plant. And it's a very usually a rather complicated process to make them. Cold press oils and herbal oils are, or herbal infused oils are a separate thing. Although frequently when I make like massage um, oils, for instance, mm -hmm. I will begin with an herbal infused oil. So I might begin with an almond oil that I've infused lavender into or rosemary into. And I may, depending on what my final plan is for that oil, I may add a drop or two of lavender or rosemary. Or, you know, I might use like some geranium oil if I want the oil to be something that's, you know, helping relax tensions, but also remind someone for, to, you know, enjoy life, you know, to bring the, the, um, lightness back into life, you know, a drop of geranium oil might be nice, or if someone's having a problem with depression. I might add a drop or two of lemon or orange mm -hmm. or lemon verbena essential oils to the massage, the basic lavender rosemary massage oil that I've got or the herbal infused oil. Right. So, you know, you can formulate using a combination of the two pretty effectively. All right. So I hope that helps clear things up. <laughs> Maybe I just made things a little more cloudy. I don't know. Well, this is a complicated question. So. It is. It is a very complicated question. So good luck, Michaela. All right. All right. So with that, put, put an herb, herb on, on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.